So we have Orla, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Orla Gatland. I'm a songwriter and a musician originally from Dublin, but now I live in London. When did you move to London? Four years ago now. It's quite a long time. Feels like a lifetime. That's quite a long time. When did you start writing? towards the end of school, probably 15, 16, you know yourself, when you say the first songs you've written, mm -hmm. I'm not even sure they were songs, I'm not the, even sure they qualified. Can you remember the first song? Yeah, I wrote a song called <laughs> <laughs> Unlucky in Love. <laughs> How did you come up with that one? <laughs> I don't even know. I was like 14 or 15, maybe it was a song about being ginger or something. But it <laughs> Were you quite unlucky enough in I don't think I was particularly, that's why it was quite funny. I think I had a tendency to over-dramatise lyrically, which I think is still with me. Mm -hmm. um, because I love drama and I don't have enough of it in my life, so I think I decided I was unlucky in love. And I just, I just, I remember like some of the melodies in my head, they were, they were not good. Can you, can you sing the chorus? You don't, no. <laughs> you don't want that. You don't want that. So that was the first like named one that I can remember that kind of looked like a song, like had a verse, right. and yeah. something that resembled a chorus. Um, I'd like to think it's got slightly fucking sense, but I don't even know. <laughs> Did you know then that you, it was what you wanted to do? I think I knew that I wanted to do as much of it as possible, but mm. the idea of doing it as a job was very abstract when mm. I was that age. I think it is for most people. I had no examples in my life of people who worked in the music industry, so I knew that it would always be with me as a hobby or with me in some shape or form, and I would have loved the idea of doing it for a living, but I don't think I could imagine the steps to get there, so... Yeah. Yeah, I definitely wanted to. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing else I'm very good at. So. Were your uh, <laughs> family supportive of your... Yeah, they were really good. I'm the oldest of three, so I'm over here setting up a fine academic example. <laughs> um, they were really supportive. I think they um, did their best to understand the industry. Yes. Yeah. How could you? I think that's the hardest thing for parents when I speak to people. I think a lot of the time it's not that they reject the idea of their child going into something like music. It's just that as a parent, you want to be there to give advice and guidance mm -hmm. and suddenly Suddenly, if your child veers into a path where you just can't apply any advice or guidance because yeah. you don't know it yourself, I think there's definitely a bit of that. Probably a little bit. Of, they they definitely used to say things like "Don't sign your soul away." And like, <laughs> what do you mean? Because <laughs> you know they hear the horror stories, uh -huh. and I think they think the music industry is like full of cowboys and suits yeah. trying to sort of screw everyone. I mean, it's good. Which is yeah, which is not completely untrue. Um, but no, they're very good about it. Yeah, I think they um, have very been good with me and my brother and sister. Just being like, whatever you want to do, we'll get behind it. That's as long really as nice. you, like, they definitely made me work hard at school. Like, they kind of said, look, we know that you're heading. But, but a, like, second last year and last year of school, I was kind of head of music, planning, moving to London. And they were like, you can do that, but also, like, don't fall off the bandwagon. Because uh -huh. I was kind of a nerd, and they were like, don't. You know, just retain your nerdiness till the end and then you can go and be a hippie. <laughs> <laughs> Were you good at school? I was quite good at school. I think I loved the structure of it. Yes. Yeah. I miss that a lot. In your structure this life is something. Yeah. I find myself trying to apply structure all the time where structure doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. 
I did, yeah, I didn't really like the content at school, and I went to an all-girls school, which is just a whole thing. Yeah, it is a, a whole different thing. experience altogether. Um, but yeah, I loved the structure, and I loved the kind of straightforwardness of if you soak up this information and study in some shape or form, mm. we'll get through this. It was just very, kind of, I like that. Yeah. No, I like that too. I like school. I went to a boarding school. Oh wow! And that was, How quite, was that? that was quite intense. That was With just boys and girls. And girls, yeah. That that's where I met Savannah. Oh. Yeah, that was just structure though. It was only structure. Well, that's structure in your evenings and your yeah, weekends and everything. Right. So that's just next Full level structure. Um, was it in England somewhere? <laughs> yeah, yeah, down in Sussex in Hurstville Park, and then left, went to uni. No structure. Was like <laughs> Left the, to your the own laziest, devices. The laziest probably I've ever been since. You know, I was just completely, I didn't ever do anything. Wow. Left to my own devices. But that was when we had like eight hours a week of contact time at uni, so it's like nothing else. Yeah. Not even two hours a day. And um, so I took everything that was left of my loan and bought loads of audio equipment. Oh. I just spent the whole time. I thought you were going to say something more sinister. Oh. <laughs> oh, like a bucket full of drugs. <laughs> a bucket full of drugs. No, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So, 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 did you study like production or no, I studied music? philosophy. Yeah. yeah. Um, my mum was like, at A level, she says, you can do whatever you want as long as you do maths at A level. Okay. And I was like, okay. And it, was, yeah, and it ruined my life. Maths was impossible. It was so difficult. And then I was like, right, well, I'm definitely not doing anything maths related at uni. Yeah. Did philosophy. Different. <laughs> Never really had any intention of, I thought like maybe I'd do a master's and then just see what happens in my life. Yeah. But I got carried away with music in the middle of. Wow. Yeah, you know. Different. Very different. When did you start cool. making videos? About the same time. About the same time, yeah, probably 14, 15, in the dark ages of YouTube. Yeah. I wanted, I was playing, I was writing songs at that point, and I wanted to show someone other than my family, and I couldn't get any gigs because mm. there were a few open mics around me, but they were all in pubs, so if you're like 14, they're like, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> so, Not the ideal situation. Exactly. And I was also a massive geek and was watching a lot of people over here in the UK and in the States doing the bedroom acoustic video thing, which at the time just was not a thing. Like no no one at that point has been discovered on YouTube. And so not to be like overly, overly nostalgic, but the tone of the site was so different. It was really kind of pure and everyone was just putting up things and not really... No one was being career focused about it. It was just like, hey, I made a thing, here it is. And the novelty of being able to get an immediate comment from someone that lived in like the Philippines was yeah. just so magic. And so, yeah, I just started putting in videos as a knee-jerk reaction to not being able to get gigs because I had songs that I wanted to show someone. And yeah, it was good to Yeah, there's no trolling in it either. Oh, there's definitely some trolling. Not like that. I'm probably trolling in its like archaic form. Mm-hmm. Like the first video I ever put up was a cover of Broken Strings by <laughs> James Morrison and Nelly Furtado. It's a big tune. 
It's a big tune. It's brave it's to big, do a duet on your own. It's brave to do a song when you've been playing guitar for like a week and a half. It oh, wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't good. It wasn't. <laughs> this is my kind of. This is, I guess, the issue with growing up on YouTube and developing as a musician somewhat publicly, is that you have the kind of remnants of your life, of your like early yeah. recordings are kind of out there. You're not sort of developing in a garage with a band full of mates from school and then when you're ready two years later you're going to go and do a gig it's like when I it just was so full of it I was like yeah I've been playing guitar for like a week like I can nail these like four chords just throw <laughs> that up I also had a very strange haircut in the first um in the first video which which yeah led to a lot of comments of like is this a boy or a girl <laughs> <laughs> so that was my earliest experience of like okay some of them are just curious and I did look pretty, yeah, it was a pretty weird haircut, but um, I think it was all pretty well known. That was like, so from the get-go I had like people who I didn't know just like commenting on like appearance and like yeah, things yeah, that yeah, weren't yeah. really relevant to music, but I think that also was good in a way it meant that I didn't go into it naively. I had to go in and be like, okay, some people are going to comment things that are going to be yes. upsetting and from the get-go I just have to do my best to block that out. Any, when, whenever there's any kind of video content that happens, you know, whether it's on YouTube or somewhere else, you know, when you watch it like TV, when you're watching people on TV mm. and then you check Twitter to see what people are saying about people on TV, it's, it's all the same. Yeah. It's all the same. I think, I think we are kind of, I think some of us are designed to try and kind of take down people who are putting themselves out there. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't really like that. It doesn't really matter what you're doing. I think if you're just sort of promoting yourself, putting yourself out there, trying to show a bit of confidence, a bit, bit of character, um, there's just a lot of people that reject that whole yeah, idea. Sure. And so I think it's something not really to take personally. I just think some people are just like, get back in your box. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, a little bit of trolling, but on the mild end of it. And was it mostly covers? No, I made a, an effort kind of early on to make sure it was quite even okay. from the get-go. And this was the thing, I was kind of, I wasn't very savvy about it, I wasn't uploading very regularly, none of the videos looked very good. Um, <laughs> but there was a few, I guess there's a few things that I think I was subconsciously doing just from watching other people that had started on the site. So for a while I was like sort of half savvy at kind of covering things that were relevant at that time which I just can't be bothered to do anymore. No. But I think my, like, 16-year-old self, I was sort of putting my first uh, businesswoman hat on. <laughs> um, but I also... Yeah, I also wanted to not be thought of as, like, a cover, cover artist mm, yeah. very quickly. Um, because I'd seen people fall into that trap of doing years and years of other people's songs, and then as soon as they got the courage, I had to upload their original people like, okay, that's nice, but you know, Where's can you the... please cover this Ed Sheeran song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was quite even from the beginning and weirdly there was a more positive response to the originals than the covers, which was really cool. That's good. So yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty even. Who were your, um, like, YouTube idols back then? There was a girl who I later went on to be friends with, which was pretty mad, called Kate McGill, who's from Plymouth originally, and she was like the original UK queen right. of YouTube, okay. and she made videos in her, in her bathroom, which was the 
fifth. It was reverb, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everything was just because everyone at that point was just using the um, the camera on the like the, the mic on the camera. Right. So you had to just find ways of like finding like natural yeah. reverb and things like that. And she was incredible, and she made loads and loads of videos. And she spoke at the end and the beginning of the videos, and I think she was the first person I saw doing that. To get personal. Yeah, and it made me just love her and, and gave me so much context for what she was singing about because I understood her character a bit more. And then when I went to see her live, she came to Dublin, I was probably like 15, 16 at this point. And yeah, I found myself being, not even knowing how to act around her when I met her at the end of her show because I felt like I knew her. So yeah. you get that kind of accidentally over familiar thing. Um, but I thought that was just so cool. I thought that was a testament to kind of I took her seriously as a musician, but also I knew things about her. Mm. She was like, you're just keeping us updated in your life. I love that. Um, so she was really good. There's a band called Pomplamoose. Do you ever hear that? No. Oh, they're so sick. <laughs> they are, they were the first, they're a duo from San Francisco, I think. And they were the first people I knew. It was probably a few years after Kate. Uh, to see them sort of multi-tracking covers right. and taking it really seriously. It was like everything was fully produced okay. and they were just these mad like kooky, they were like singing in French, they were doing covers <laughs> of like Beyonce songs with like all these weird augmented chords and it was just so creative. Um, so they were probably the first lot that I loved that were kind of taking it a step further production-wise. Yeah. They're still really good. <laughs> and they have a great name, Pomplamoose. Pomplamoose. <laughs> How did you make the transition from, like, I'm writing songs and I'm uploading to YouTube and people are applying, mm. which is nice, mm -hmm. but it's a closed environment, right? 100%. To then, okay, now I'm going to be like, I'm going to record them and put them out in the world and whoever can hear them wants to hear them. And it's going to be... You know, it's quite different going from, I assume, when you were recording originals on YouTube, it was using a guitar. Yeah, of course. To then thinking, now I'm, I have to make a record, mm -hmm. and what's, how's that going to work? Weirdly, the people that had been watching me on YouTube at that time were so pivotal in that kind of decision because, again, I just kind of fell into it. I got comments saying, hey, I'd love to be able to have this song on my phone. It was like that basic and I was like oh I suppose you could just rip the mp3 off the video and then that got me this is really bad quality and I don't want anyone to listen to this on their phone with headphones so that it, it kind of was that simple it was like did you just hear my belly just make I a did. really weird noise I, just, I ate like three bowls of Cheerios just before we got I'm so jealous <laughs> um, so yeah it was my existing audience at that point that encouraged me to record them. I don't, I mean, I would have done it eventually, but I think at that point, again, like 16, I just, the idea of a studio felt very abstract. I've yeah, never been in front of a mic before. I've never considered production. Um, and so, yeah, I had a friend called Gary who lived in Dublin. He had a studio in his bedroom. And he had good me, old Gary. Good old Gary. Everyone's got a Gary. <laughs> he was so patient with me because it really was the first time I've been in front of a mic. I was literally, it was so basic. I was like, how far away do I stand? Nah. Yeah. And I recorded three songs with him for a kind of first very, very basic EP. 
and I actually like I think it's so funny now what what I thought production was because I remember having <laughs> he must have thought I was so weird I had this um app on my phone <laughs> that was like sound effects just like a boat like if you were working in a radio station you had just like a stupid like fart noise like a spring noise like, like a oh, siren yeah, yeah like really textbook sound effects and for some reason I like insisted on putting these in the songs that's so funny. I just didn't know what production was I didn't think I didn't think about playing live or like songs that have structure or like yeah, be yeah. on the radio and in one way it was like so pure and naive and I kind of miss it mm -hmm. but he must have thought I was an absolute weirdo but I was like yeah I really think just like at this point of the song we should just have a little like boing <laughs> and so these first few songs just have all these like weird and he I think totally, that's exactly what it's missing <laughs> I know and he totally let me make that mistake so that yeah. I would later be like I'm not gonna bring the, the, app. the app into the studio anymore I wonder what would happen if you brought the app into the studio now. Everyone would probably be like, yeah, that's really cool. I'm like, cool. that's so, like, meta. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was not good. But again, you have to go through all of that. I think the whole analogy of, you know, songwriting and being in studio is like being a tap that you have, has to run. has to run very muddy, gross yeah, water yeah, for a while but... until it becomes clear is... is so true and that was my me with the app is like the muddy <laughs> infested water <laughs> muddy ola <laughs> that's like muddy ola had to get that out of the way before the clear beautiful <laughs> water could come <laughs> oh my God. um when you're when you're in the studio mm -hmm. and you're writing um What's your what's your process? Do you start on the guitar always? I've started starting less and less on the guitar. Okay. Because I don't really play keys. I have very basic sort of crossed over hands mm -hmm. key skills. But there's a naivety and a kind of curiosity that I have with piano because I don't understand it because it's not where I come from that I really like where I'm playing mm -hmm. things that could be really basic but I'm, they're really exciting to me because I can't quite make sense of them mm -hmm. whereas with guitar I have my like go-to chord sequences that I find myself falling into all the time now so I started trying not to start the guitar more and more um, but I've gone to production a lot over the last two years so sometimes start with like a drum loop or cool. some kind of like texture or like an arpeggiated thing um, yeah, and I have, it's weird, I think, I think in the early stages of song ideas, they're very, like, separate for me. I have, like, the classic, like, note on the phone of, like, title ideas and concept mm -hmm. ideas and one-liners. And then I have all the kind of stuff on my laptop, like, little dinky loops and chord progressions and riffs and kind of musical things. And then really it's the, like, bringing them together where it's kind of... They kind of exist in very separate worlds until I sit down to do it. Right. Just 
I think that's pretty, that's quite normal. I think it's quite normal, yeah. How do you start when you find yourself falling into habits? Yeah, I try not to start on the guitar for the same reason as you. Mm -hmm. I said it's always... Is it your first instrument? It is my first instrument, yeah. And when I started writing, it would be interesting. But now it's just, like, I play the chords, and I'm playing the chords to, like, five other songs that I've written before, you know. Um, Which I've kind of got away from a little bit. Like, I've started playing more, like, jazz guitar stuff. Oh, nice. Which is a bit interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I usually start on keys as well. I'm a very, like, I I have no piano skills, basically. (laughs) So if something works, it's a complete accident. Mm -hmm. Same. But I think that's good, though. But that's good. Which sounds a bit defensive, but I think it is. (laughs) Again, knowing the instrument back to front, like a lot of people that I've co-written with, they're able to be like, okay, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna change from the fifth to the first, and we'll go to the minor fourth, and all this kind of lingo that goes completely over my head. And in a way, I'm like, oh, it's really cool for you to be able to kind of mm-hmm. rationalize what we've just done, but your description of that is just not magic. To yeah, me. No, no. you've just you've explained why it's a satisfying chord change or why it's an emotional chord change, but like, I, you know, it just is. Yeah, 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 like I don't think you need to be able to kind of rationalize it all, and I don't have the space <laughs> to do that. So I think I think there's something to be said for. Not really knowing what you're doing. No, I agree. I think most of the time, if I'm writing with someone else or for someone else, I'll start on the keyboard. Mm -hmm. If I'm writing for myself, I'll start with a beat Mm -hmm. and try and find something, Mm -hmm. or a sample and try and find something. Because if I start on the keyboard for myself, you know, when someone else is in the room, and even if you play the same pattern that you've played a hundred times, mm-hmm. their melody is going to be completely different. Oh yeah. Because they've got a completely different brain. So it doesn't matter so much if I'm playing the same chords when I'm in the room with someone else. Yeah, that's yeah. so true. And I think there's so much... I think there's so much skill in doing something different over... Same thing. Because I'm the same as you, as when I pick up the guitar, I do immediately go, oh, it sounds like that song that I've written or that I've heard. But actually, in a way, I think there's more to be said writing-wise. I think there's more merit in doing something interesting with the same four chords mm-hmm. than there is with getting all music school on and playing in weird things for the sake of being interesting. Yeah, I think I've... Is that your tongue? I mean, that's I've crazy. eaten. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like two years ago I was so into... Like, I was listening to a lot of Frank Ocean, and I was thinking, right now, I need to get really complex here with my production and mm. just go a bit mad and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, just, I want nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, I want like the guitar or the keyboard and the beat, and that's it. Yeah. And some bass. It makes you a better writer to strip it back to that, no matter how yeah, it ends so. up. Because when I started producing demos at home, if something wasn't working, yeah, it was like a tendency to just throw a load of stuff at it until it kind of worked. Get, your, really, get your app out. Yeah, <laughs> tendency to get the app out and be like, boing, boing, boing. <laughs> but I think, I think there's something to be said for when you're writing and it holds its own with very little in it. I think you're a bit more accountable to good writing yeah. about it. Yeah, I think so. Do you, um, do you do a lot of writing for other people? I've started doing a lot in the last year. Yeah, it's relatively new to me really, but I'm loving it so much. Yeah. It just makes me a more well-rounded writer and gives me a chance to make 
things that I would never make for myself. Different music. Yeah, I'd love to do it now. I think I kind of dabbled in it at first thinking that I might struggle. I think I thought I had a bit more of an ego than I did. I think I, I thought that if I was in a room where the focus wasn't me, that I would freak out, freak out or something, but I loved it. Um, yeah, and it's just such a wide range of things. Like the UK pop early in the year, which was just like I'd never oh, yeah, even, I remember that. I'd never even heard of K-pop. Mm-hmm. But again, you're just kind of it's like you're kind of untapping a different part of your brain. Yeah. That you hadn't been tapped yeah. into before. It's really fun. I I'm very new to it. I think I'm still honing it as a skill, especially with artists in the room, getting them to where they want the song to be. Mm. And kind of being in tune with the other person, drawing lyrics out of them that are personal to them. All that stuff, I definitely, it's a skill for me to hone. But the idea of writing for the people is amazing. What's your ideal number in the room? Two? Oh, yeah, two or three. Yeah. I think anything more is. gets a bit crazy. gets a bit crazy. I mean, that said, I've had sessions with three others that have been good, but that's only when I think in rooms like that. I don't know if you found this, but like everyone has to assume a role very quickly yeah. or else it becomes really manic. Yeah. So, the, you know, the track person is like the track person, like they're not going to interview with the lyrics. And like the lyric person is like that person, maybe two people collaborating with that other person's like the playing in things, kind of uh-huh. working with whoever's tracking. So, I think I prefer rooms where I can like do a bit of everything. Yeah. And I think I'm really good in rooms of three where there's an artist and a producer and I can be in the middle, like sympathizing with artists and I love lyrics and it's not like I'm going to be the kind of writer that's like, just chuck something down and we'll put mm-hmm. it in. But also I like playing guitars in and playing synths in and, and I'm so interested in production that I want to be involved in that side of it as well. Yeah. So I think that's the kind of environment where I probably thrive as co-like for other people is kind of being the middle, the middle man. I've only been in a room with four once, mm-hmm. and it was Katie Sky, amazing, uh, Gabriel Jaeger, okay, and like Jaeger bomb, like Y A E G. Oh right, not quite <laughs> close. And uh, a girl called Mona. Okay. And we got into the room, and Mona had previously produced all the Jaeger stuff. Okay. Um, or a lot of it. And I am most always producing a session because yeah. I can get really uncomfortable if I'm not at the laptop, right? Yeah. I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to produce this session if she obviously knows what she's doing. Like, yeah. She's produced yoga before. So I let her do all the production and I just played a bit of guitar, did some keyboards, and it was really nice. Yeah. It was I think like it's really, nice it was really nice. Switch your role up yeah. like that as well. It was really fun. I'm kind of the opposite. Like any time where I'm tracking or doing a book or someone who's so new to me, oh, right, that yeah. I'm, I'm, I think I'm more comfortable with it now. But I'm like, whoa, this is new. But it's so exciting as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so nice, and I think that kind of cyclical, kind of changing it up every now and then keeps things interesting and keeps you grow as a writer otherwise you get stuck with your same chord patterns and the same mm-hmm. grooves and the same go-to synth sounds and mm-hmm. all that's really good for working with speed but it's like not always creatively the best yeah, thing to do so yeah, I love that I love the idea of you being like oh what do I do with my hands <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no it's nice when you know like like Katie was in the room and I'm like right I know I can just Katie can just leave Katie to like the melodies 
feel like she just so sang the yeah. phone book and I'd yeah, like, right. yes. So I know this would be fine. And Jaeger is obviously a good writer, she's written yeah. a load of her own stuff. Wow. So they're going to, and they got on really well. And they're obviously going to write good stuff together. But that, that's what makes, I mean we've never written together, but that, no. what makes, that's what makes you a good writer. Because it sounds like in that room you didn't force your ideas on anyone. Like you've given a certain amount of trust. You've brought whatever you can to the table. You've also given everyone trust in their own role and said, you're not going to stand over her shoulder while she's producing. Yeah, going, for sure. Um, I think you've improved this professor. <laughs> Whereas there are a lot of people that do yeah. make bad co-writers because they're very forceful and maybe there's a little bit of kind of insecurity and not feeling like they're yeah. contributing. Like I've definitely been in rooms with people where they kind of freak out that none of their melodies have been used and none of their production ideas have made it in. So they're kind of crowbarring things in and really the best kind of writer just facilitates whatever mm-hmm. is best for the song and if you trust people that are in the room which you should to do their thing and you just bring whatever you can that's that's like harmonious yeah, collaboration 100%. in theory yeah i think when you just like let yourself relax a bit mm-hmm. and just like at the end of the day it's one you're you're in the studio for maybe one day and it's one song. It's mm-hmm. really not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just chill out. Yeah. <laughs> so once, once you've relaxed and you're kind of back in the room, then it all becomes so much easier. Mm-hmm. You know? Like we almost finished the song that day and there were four people in the room. That's quite difficult. Because mm. everyone's trying to Everyone's going. Yeah. Have no, the idea I think run past them. My chorus is better. Uh. You know? <laughs> but yeah, that one ended up going quite well. It was really fun. And I also became very well, so when I was in LA, that was when I started doing co-writes. I hadn't co-written anything, but I'd only written stuff for myself. That's right in the deep end. I know, so I thought, right, I'm in a new place, and I'm just, I don't know anyone, so I'm going to meet people by co-writing. And um, I was really bad. Like, first, like <laughs> the first like five, six sessions, it was just like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I can't expect to. Uh, no, like I, I was like, am I, am I just producing this session here? Like, what am I doing? Am I, you know, because they come down to my place. Right. You know, am I writing a bit with them? Am I tracking their ideas? Yeah. Do I get a say in the lyrics? But then it became a lot easier, and you realise that actually, for for a lot of people, it's really intimidating coming into someone else's space. Mm-hmm where they're not comfortable, and then having to write a song, oh you know, like, which actually means something. I think co-writing, especially hosting people in your own house or your own studio, I think it's so much of the skill lies in just making people comfortable, mm. because then the good ideas will come out of them. Yeah, so you can be the best writer in the world, but if you don't know how to make someone comfortable when they're doing a vocal, you just won't get a good performance. Mm. And if you're kind of, I don't know, if you're not able to talk honestly about, if you do you know, collaborate with lyrics, if you're not able to like very openly and honestly chat with people to bring some kind of honesty out of them, then you just, you know, we'll end up with songs. And I, I think everyone's been there. You end up with these really vague songs where you end up in rooms where everyone's going, oh, you know when you break up with someone and <laughs> they say this, and it's kind of everyone's contributing their own ideas. Uh-huh. And there's something nice about that, but 
I'm a little bit more purist at lyrics and that. I just, even even though I can be tricked, when I listen to songs, I just love them from, from person's personal experience. But that's so hard to nail in sessions. And that's the bit I think I'm still working on when it comes to writing for other people, is making people comfortable enough with me as a kind of Dr. Phil character on the couch <laughs> to say, okay, that sounds like a really interesting thing that you've been through. Like, let's write about that if you're happy to. Yeah. That's the bit that I need to get better at because it's hard. It's really it's hard. Therapy. And it's really alien. Mm, but it's really important, I think. Yeah. Not every, obviously, it depends on the type of music. Not every music has to be that full of kind of personal meaning. Personal meaning. Maybe I'm just like coming from this kind of singer songwriter background where that's yeah. quite important to me and it's not important to everyone. That's absolutely fine. But I think some element of truth or honesty or realness is important. So. I find it really hard doing um, sessions where it's just boys. <laughs> yeah. I find it really difficult. There's no one's willing to be to be vulnerable. Be the first one who's vulnerable in the session. Oh, that's so funny. I suppose really I've never difficult. had that problem. Okay, yeah, you, you must never have had that. Before. I know, there's always at least one. It's wow. really, that is really difficult. And so, if I'm in a room of three, I will try and. Like, I can't do it. I can't write with two other people. It's just not going to happen. Not unless I know them really well. If I know them really well, then it's fine. Yeah. Because. That's so interesting. I know a lot of writer producers that kind of specialise in <laughs> solo female artists, and maybe that. Yeah, I, I think that is back well. to it all the time. They're often like more readily vulnerable. Yeah. All of my sessions, pretty much in the last, I've only had one session with a guy. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so all of my sessions in the last year. And the funny thing is that female artists, that boys, men, in those contexts and in real life, all they want to do is open up really. <laughs> yeah, I know. All they want to do is talk about their feelings. And it's the perfect just, place to do it. Oh my God, such a... In the studio. Such a safe space. It never leaves the room yeah. if you don't want it to. Yeah. But it is, it, it, it's difficult. It's just being the one to break the ice and kind of initiate that. I think it's such a skill in itself. Also, you know that embarrassing kind of like five, six minutes, seven minutes at the beginning of... The session where you've got you've got the instrumental whatever you call it and they're being played and you're both or all, all three of you are trying to find some kind of melody. Yeah. And, and it's just kind of like, like, and then it kind of yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then That's someone goes, Oh I think you I think that was good maybe. Can you remember it? No. <laughs> I don't it's know, I'm so saying. awkward. That's the it? worst bit. And boys so boys brilliant. don't want to do that. No, it is vulnerable to just sing things out loud in real time. And also, it always makes me laugh when um, I think it's New York Times. There's a couple publications and online um, folk that have started doing, you know, these kind of behind the song mm. type videos where they kind of, I know they did a really good one for like, just a Bieber song. I can't remember. Sorry. They did a really good one for The Middle as well, the Zed's yeah, yeah. and Mara song. Um, but it's really funny so they kind of interview all the different people and sometimes they even have footage from the day and they splice together this whole kind of how the song came together but so it's really funny because those awkward minutes at the beginning always seem to be bypassed mm -hmm. in those kind of when everyone's recalling it 
You kind of go straight to when so-and-so came in with this idea and we did this. And that sometimes does happen, but there is that weird, I mean, it's going to be an hour long. Like, mm-hmm. there is that weird sort of unknown back and forth that yeah. is just so, so funny. It's so then, important. I remember when I was maybe like 13 or 14 and I watched a video of Justin Timberlake and Pharrell in the studio writing... Um, one of the songs from Justified, and I can't remember which one. Um, and it was like Pharrell had to like the skeleton of the beat, and it was Justin Timberlake singing really badly and sort of and he couldn't find the melody. And then eventually they both got there, yeah. solidified, and it sounded amazing. Um, but I remember thinking like, oh, like if Pharrell and Justin Timberlake have exactly it's the so same. Important. It's so important to see that because yeah. you, those are the. I mean, I think even the most confident writer or producer in those like kind of initial fifteen minutes of the song just not existing and kind of half existing, it's that's where the self doubt kicks in. Uh-huh. I think even the most confident, prolific writers, unless you're like amazingly confident, and you're just like every idea that comes out of me is magic. No, it's actually like, that self confident though, are there? No, well, not that I know, but. Yeah, those are the moments where you have to kind of, yeah, you have to really build yourself up for those bits, I think, because it's really easy when the song doesn't exist to be like, I'm such a terrible writer, I'm not yeah, getting something yeah. straight away. And it's like, no one does. That's why things like that are really important, like accounts of big songs, successful songs, where you actually have a truthful mm. insight into that weird, meandering kind of stage at the beginning. I think everyone thinks... Kind of very good. You know, like I think you, especially when you can't get it or you've written a song, you spent a day writing a song, mm-hmm. two days, and then you listen to it and you think, that is just really not good. <laughs> that is just really, and then you think, am I just really bad at this? Um, I think yeah. it's really, I think that's really common with pretty much everyone I know at every level. But then part of me thinks that that's kind of important. Like, oh, yeah, if you think sure. if you think of the opposite of being, like, just making things every day and being like, nailed it, nailed it again, <laughs> nailed it again. Wow, it's just all pure gold. Then, you know, we're going to grow. So I think, yeah, maybe the crippling self-doubt and <laughs> self-criticism is really inconvenient for your head, but maybe for your art it's good. Yeah. Um, no, I have a tendency to overthink things, which is, like, the next level, and that's definitely not helpful. I think a lot of songwriters are overthinkers. Hello, friend. <laughs> nice to meet you. Hello, friend. <laughs> nice to meet you. Hello, friend. It's like a, rich, a job requirement. Mm-hmm. Yep. I had a song called Overthinking that I put up online. And every time that someone comes to me at the end of the gig and said, I really connected with your song, Overthinking, I'm always like, thank you. But also, like, we always just, like, hug it out because I just know I'm like, you're my people. You get this. I'm sorry that you can relate. <laughs> it's really tough because it's so personal. So when someone doesn't like it... Your ideas, you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or your songs or whatever. You feel like, oh god, you don't like that. But that was that's like all I have. That's like, I know. You know. 
This is where I think performing under your own name becomes a little bit interesting because obviously you have a pseudonym. Yeah. And it's kind of, it kind of relates to your name, but it's a separate kind of entity. Yeah. And there are definitely moments I go back and forth all the time about whether or not I wish I had a different name because I just have the one that's on my birth cert. I never yeah, had yeah, a yeah. moment of having to Google things or think about a name that was meaningful. Because I think the kind of close to home factor and people not liking what you do and taking that more personally and worrying that actually you're just not a very likable person. Not. Yeah, right. That definitely, I think, affects people more. When I've spoken to them, people who perform under their own name, whereas if you're part of a band or a duo or a student, then maybe, in theory, it's a little bit easier to say. Well, if you 100%. don't like my band's music, but that doesn't mean you don't yeah, like me. me. Yeah. Whereas I find it, it all kind of wraps into the one sometimes. I can definitely... Uh, Pretend to be someone else, basically. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. You can, like, cut yourself in half. And mm -hmm. you're like, right, right now, I'm Alex. Mm -hmm. Like, all my friends call me Alex. Like, all the people I actually know. Mm -hmm. Like, really well. But then anyone who I've kind of met over the last year mm -hmm. calls me Lex. Mm -hmm. And it's a bit weird. And then you become friends with them, and they still call me Lex. And mm -hmm. it's like, that's not actually, no one actually calls me that. Yeah, yeah, but it's cool because it means that you create a separation that is is good. Mm. I have a friend who has a, a project under a pseudonym. Mm -hmm. But it's got to the point now where it's quite big. Yeah. And the pseudonym has completely ingested their life. Wow. You know, where like, if no one calls you by your real name, that probably becomes really weird. Yeah, it's a little bit of a recipe for an identity crisis yeah. when it goes that big, I suppose. Yeah, and then at what point do you become the kind of... the project, Yeah, you know? That's so true. I guess that can be kind of hard. Yeah, there are, like, so much back and forth, and actually, I don't, I don't really wish I had to Even, I mean, the really boring logistical stress of just picking a name picking that it. isn't taken, I don't think that It's really through. difficult. It takes so long. So long. I mean, I don't have a very like pretty name, but it's definitely. Yeah, it's a good name. I think people over here think it's more unusual. There's a right. lot of. I remember when I first came over here and started meeting managers. They were like, "Have you ever considered just going by Orla? You know, just like Madonna, Adele, Orla, Orla. <laughs> up there with the Prince." And I was <laughs> Donna, like, "Adele, Prince, <laughs> yeah, Orla. Orla." And I was like, "Yeah, obviously it's fine, <laughs> but." In Ireland, Orla is so common a name, so it's like me coming out here is just calling myself like Rachel. Right. Or Sarah. Yeah. Um, so that was a funny thing. But yeah, I mean, yeah, on the very boring level, there's not too many other people. It's me and Orlando Bloom that come up a lot of times. So. Orlando Bloom. Very similar career paths. Yeah, similar vibes. You and Orlando. <laughs> so how did you come to write I Go Crazy? How did that happen? I told my boyfriend I loved him for the first time, mm. which was quite a big deal for me because I just take that whole thing very seriously, yeah. not like flippantly throwing it out all the time. And he didn't say it back. Oh no! <laughs> he left me. He didn't, but he didn't say like thank you or something like that. No, he just sort of froze. <coughs> yeah, and I was like, Ooh, classic, classic. So I just happened to that would be doing some writing with my producers who produced that called Ben and Sean and 
I came in the next day. I had said it to him the night before, and he literally just froze, and I just went to sleep. It was pretty, it was pretty sad. And I came in the next oh, day, man. and I was clearly affected by something. Right. And we were working another song, and they were like, are you okay? I was like, I'm fine. <laughs> and they were like, you're clearly not. So then eventually they, and again, this is where they're good at the kind of Dr. Phil drawing uh-huh. it out. They were like, we think something's wrong, like, you can tell us. We don't need to make a song about it, but you can tell us. So I told them the whole thing, and they were like, oh. <laughs> uh, oh, that is bad. And the song that we've been working on previously had no lyrics yet. It was kind of on Sean's studio wall. He has this little picture that said says, what would Stevie next do? And good, good question. Good question. A line of code. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and no. so. And so, you know. Um, so, yeah, we were listening to a lot of her and Fleetwood, and I was really obsessed with the Edge of Seventeen mm-hmm. at the time, which was one of those weird songs that was kind of following me around the place. Like, I would hear it in shops. Right. And I was just like, that's a really unusual song to keep kind of popping up everywhere. Um, so I was like, oh, I really want a song like that. We previously, yeah, the sort of jiggy 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 jiggy. It's kind of tense. Because we, we had loads of songs that were um, sort of living in a ballady world and other ones that were quite a few, but I didn't think in that kind of middle, like upbeat, but kind of right. minor, kind yeah. of tense, frustrated thing. And I just think that, in Edge of Seventeen is so relentless. It is very Fleetwood Mac actually. It's just, it keeps kind of just cycling over and over and you're like, you want some relief from it, almost. Um, So we had a little track that was kind of playing off that kind of mood and then I came in with this accidental lyric idea that kind of was just that mood, like fed up and frustrated and a bit sad, but mainly just like, ugh. Um, and so, yeah, this kind of came about that day. They were like, okay, well, we don't have to write a song about it, but we think it's kind of interesting. And then we just sort of started singing things over the track yeah. that we had, and all just came together. Yeah, two chords. Two, two chords. chords. <laughs> you have that lyric in there, huh? Edge of 22. Is yeah, so we, yeah, we wanted to have some little reference to it. Oh. So we had, um, I feel like all of this has aged me. Right on the edge of 22. So that was our Stevie nod. Yeah, that's nice. Thanks. That's cool. Um, yeah, what what have you got coming up that you're excited about? Music, music-wise. Music-wise. I'm doing a lot of touring over the next couple of months. Um, I play guitar for a girl called Dodie who's going to the States Fun. for a month. Yeah, so I'm going to be there for all of September and then I'm going to do my own support tour in November. Going to Europe and around the UK with a band called Hudson Taylor. Oh, cool. Some guys I know from home, they're so good. So in between that, my plan is to do a lot more recording. I have yeah. no shortage of songs. Um, but I'm still bouncing around between different producers and finding out what works best. And also doing a lot of production myself, like anytime I have a day off, the kind of default, um, the default is to just dive into that find myself in the pits of it's so fun. It's YouTube endless. tutorials. It's it is endless. really endless. It's not like, it never stops it's not like a game that you complete. No. It just keeps going. Um, and so I have, I mean, I feel like I have an album with the songs that I think are really 
strong and I think work together. It's just finding like the right setup to make it in. And until I've found that setup, I'm just going to crack on and keep sort of demoing it myself. Do you want to get to a point where you can self-produce a record? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah 100%. I love Imogen and Phil like my absolute hero. Yeah. She's, not that you get to model your life on anyone, but if I live, <laughs> I live in the life house like Imogen, I have Taylor Swift coming over and <laughs> wanting to make records with me. Um, I think she is actually a really good example of the very loose kind of model I'd like to follow in that she writes for the people but also it's her own music and her own distinct style that serves as like almost like a public portfolio for mm. her as a writer. If you want to write with her because you know what she brings because here is like albums and albums worth of that. It's like that with lots of things like Jenny Mitchell, mm-hmm. Janis Joplin. Mm-hmm. You know, where you can tell, and even if you hear a song that they've written that isn't theirs, you're like, oh. You just know. That's definitely going to be Yeah. Yeah, you know instantly. It was a good long chat. I wasn't looking at the titles, it was just in the background. And as soon as I saw that, but you have to be so cute. Um, and then she just said, It's impossible to ignore you. Or whatever that thing is. And I was like, Oh my god, it's an even just immediately new. It's like, That's so imaging. So I think I think she's amazing. But yeah, I'd love to self produce. Yeah. Yeah. It actually, like, there's a lot of, you You hit, like, a steep learning curve occasionally where it's like, mm-hmm. also, but then, fuck, now I need to mix it, you mm-hmm. know, or like, oh, now I need to learn how to really produce my vocals really well, so that when we get to the mix stage, it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But really, it's just, like, if you're producing, mm-hmm. and you're learning, and you're producing, and you're learning, it's just a, you, you get there, you know? Yeah. But then it's just about being confident enough to be like, this is my self-produced record and it's going out. That's the scary part. I know. Even when I'm just playing like self-produced demos and sessions, sitting there sort of... You get what you mean. Yeah. Just hoping hoping that it comes across well. But I think all of that just comes with time. I don't know if you get it, but sometimes I'm like demoing at home sort of banging my head against the wall thinking that I'm not getting any better and then I'll listen to something I did. Like three years ago, and be like, okay, oh, it's fine. Yeah, 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 <laughs> We're yeah. definitely on the right track. Definitely, I've got. I've actually got to the point now where I listen to something that I did like two years ago, and I'm like, ah, oh, I've actually really, I really like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like how I was producing back then, mm-hmm. and now it's all very much, very complex. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah there's the simplicity on it. Yeah. Well, that's like me and my app of sound effects yeah i don't ever want to go back to getting the app out but like i miss the naivety of thinking that mm. that was a good idea just the absolute kind of feeling your way in the dark of it so nice yeah you have to retain that sure. kind of childlike eyes wide kind of innocence about it somehow and what are you looking forward to personally outside music outside of music 
Um, well, I'm looking forward to going to the States with this. Yeah. With Dodie. She's one of my best friends, and I love everyone in our band. So the idea of being with them for like four or five weeks is... Do you do all the big stops? New York, LA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We start on the East Coast and then work our way through in the middle, and then end up... Nice. ...on the West Coast, and then... I'm going to do a few um, shows of my own about there. I'm going to do some sofas and then Sweet. do some riding in the end and fly home from LA. So I'm really excited for that. And I'm moving house soon. So uh, I'm excited yeah. for that. That's going to be good. And I have building a new little um, compact little home Sweet. studio, which will be fun. I just think change of scenery is so nice, uh, especially it, when you spend so much time in your own space. It's so refreshing, isn't it? Yeah, I love the house I'm in. We've been there for two years. But it's just, yeah, it's the when you work from home, the kind of four walls of it. Mm. Yeah. Suffocating. Very suffocating, yeah. yeah. So I'm really excited for that. We'll have to compare studio notes when we're both done building our compact studios. I know. What what monitors are you going to get then? Small ones. <laughs> what monitors are you going to get? <laughs> <laughs> oh. gear, gear slots <laughs> forward slash monitors. <laughs> um, like little Genelex or something. Yeah, maybe all. Yamaha HS7s, like I used them for a while, and I quite okay. like them. How the response is quite flat. They're slightly smaller than those, so they're, 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 they've got 7-inch diameter speaker phones. So okay. they're, like, they're like that, but then they do 5s, which are smaller. Nice. Which is probably, those 5s would probably be perfect for your mm-hmm. setup. And they do them in white. Sick. Which is nice. That's cool. Yeah, which is really nice. I like it. Yeah, and then I'm going to get a new interface. I'm going to splash the cash, mate. Oh, yeah? I'm going to sort myself out. What do you think? Like a rack one? Yeah. Probably something really nice. Nice. That I can just keep for the next, like, ten years. Okay, yeah. Nice. For the next century of well, writing. good luck with your crazy desk built over a radiator. Thanks. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be great. And last question. Yes. Right, so, if you had to pick... Four songs for like a Desert Island mix situation. Mm. Right now, what would they be? Case of You, Joan, Joni Mitchell. Yeah. Straight away, you knew you like... I just think it's amazing. What a lyric. Um, I'd probably put some Kate Bush in, so I'll be running up that hill. Mm-hmm. Um, Regina Spector mm. is my fave. Uh, she's got a song called Fidelity. Yeah. And this is all women, so I can probably put some guys. <laughs> pick whoever you want, you don't have to pick a guy. <laughs> no, Imogen Heap. <laughs> <laughs> Imogen Heap has a song called First Train Home. That's my favourite verse at the moment, so yeah, I'd have like an all all gal power team of, of Jen and Kate. Nice. Maybe I'll put it together on Spotify and run it on the, uh, on Do the it. website. Do it. Your Desert Island mix. <laughs> cool. Oh, nice. Nice, thanks. Thank you thanks for having for me. Chat.